Hello there, it's Jason Moon. And Lauren Chuljan. This is Stranglehold, and it's 8 in the morning in a high school auditorium very early. Jason and I are here to see a presidential candidate named John Delaney. If you're not sure who that is, don't worry, we will tell you in just a bit. For right now, what you need to know is that we are just a few months away from the primary, and this group of high schoolers, about 50 of them, is going to be his biggest crowd all day by a lot. How many folks here are seniors versus juniors? How many seniors do we have? Got it. The rest, juniors? Are there freshmen and sophomores here too? Great. Good. Well, uh, for you seniors, uh, this is the final chapter of your uh, high school experience, so I hope you're enjoying it. When does your holiday break start? And as crowds go, this is a tough one. I mean, remember, high schoolers, 8 in the morning. Yeah, behind us, there was all sorts of murmuring, checking of phones. And later, when Delaney was telling them that climate change is an existential threat that could impact their lives, one girl behind us said under her breath, no shit. <laughs> but Delaney soldiers on. And I'm running for president for one simple reason. I think the central issue of this nation at this moment in time is how terribly divided we are. How increasingly the American people are being told that their enemy is their fellow American. And that's just wrong. Delaney's been soldiering on for a while now. He's been running for president for more than two years. Before that, he was a congressman from Maryland. And before that, he made a lot of money starting two financial companies. Forbes estimates his net worth is about $200 million. Delaney's campaign message is one of political pragmatism. We saw him warn voters that some of the more liberal candidates are overpromising on big ideas that he says aren't politically feasible. He's more likely, I would say, to talk about finding common ground than he is to attack the Republican Party. And he likes to say that we can't go around thinking half the country is completely wrong about everything all the time. But despite the fact that he's been delivering that message on the campaign trail for possibly longer than anyone in history, it's hard to find any evidence that he's catching on. He's polling around zero or one percent. He hasn't qualified for any of the TV debates since last summer when everybody was on the stage. And the crowds that he draws are often modest in size at best. But he keeps showing up, especially in Iowa and New Hampshire. Long-shot candidates are nothing new in New Hampshire. In fact, there have been so many of them, they're kind of like their own genre. And they all come here looking for the same thing, an unexpected, come-from-behind victory that they earn one vote at a time. But do you ever wonder why? Why do these candidates stay in the race month after month without any signs of life for their campaign? Maybe they're hoping for a spot in the cabinet or a book deal. Maybe it's a practice run for their later attempt at the White House. But it's also because what they're doing has actually worked before. Jimmy Carter entered the Democratic presidential race a political unknown. Outside of Georgia, hardly anyone even recognized his name. But that would change. Jimmy who? Jimmy Carter. Jimmy who? I don't know who he is. Jimmy Carter's best player. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. Who could forget the beautifully cheesy campaign theme song? Jimmy Carter showed up in New Hampshire. Barely anybody knew who he was. A year or so later, he was president of the United States. How did he get there? 
a relentless focus on retail politics in Iowa and New Hampshire. That is, of course, the story we told you in episode two. But today we want to show you how that story, even 44 years later, is still one of the key reasons many campaigns hang on, even when it looks like all is lost. And how New Hampshire likes it that way. Jimmy Carter is the founding father of the early state strategy. And it's interesting, when I first made the decision to do this, and I realized you know, that Carter had really pioneered the early state strategy, I, I bought a few books on the Carter run. I went to Amazon, and you know, fortunately for under $10, you can buy three books on the Carter presidential run. Carter's story gives hope to any candidate whose campaign looks like it's going nowhere. But is that hope real? Or is it just an old story people like to read about in cheap paperbacks? To find out, we spent a long day on the trail with John Delaney looking for clues. The truth is those citizens don't need more partisanship. They don't need more gridlock. They need us to start getting things done. Delaney has gone all in on a retail campaigning strategy. Day after day, he's been meeting voters in small groups wherever he can. He has visited all 99 counties in Iowa. He has made dozens and dozens of trips to New Hampshire. So what does one of those days look like? Well, today in New Hampshire, he is traveling nearly the length of the state, making three campaign stops, beginning with his high school. Have a happy holidays. God bless you all. Thank you. After he finishes his speech, we are very curious to know what the students thought. So we turn around and start talking with Maya Moreno and Mary Rose Winena. And they've been following the candidates really closely. I want them to like know where I'm coming from. Like, I want them to see where where we are as yeah. teenagers and people who pay attention to the and like, and as, politics. And teenagers as colors. Like, yeah. let's face it, we're not white. We are. I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. She's African-American. Like, this is... It's our life. It's our life. So what did Maya and Mary Rose think of John Delaney? It was, he was, I was actually really surprised. I, like, I feel bad because I kind of like underestimated him. I was like, this is going to be whack. This is going to be a waste of my time. This is ridiculous. And then he started talking, and I was like, okay. With like mass incarceration, you can tell like he's woke. Like yeah, he's woke could, about like the racial division, racial bias. Like it was great. I think he is underrated too. Yeah, he is. Right. I've, this is the first time I'm ever hearing about him. That that right there is a little whiff of the hope that campaigns like this run on, and it's the kind of moment we saw a handful of times during our day with Delaney, where you could kind of pull two possibilities out of the same moment. So one possibility. His campaign is doomed. No matter how many speeches he gives, hands he shakes, he will toil in obscurity, and in six months you'll forget his name if you ever learned it. But then there's this other possibility that we just caught a little glimpse of in that same moment, where Delaney is actually reaching people, changing their minds, one voter at a time, just like Jimmy Carter. The pure exertion that helped Jimmy Carter build a successful farming business would also see him through a punishing campaign, a campaign that was marked in the beginning by loneliness. 
A campaign defined by loneliness? I mean, sounds about right. Lauren and I were the only two reporters who stayed for the entire event. Yes, but before we get carried away here, please let us remember there are some huge differences between Jimmy Carter and John Delaney. I mean, most notably, Carter's campaign was run on a shoestring budget. They had to come to New Hampshire and Iowa. Delaney, he's thrown down at least $24 million of his own money on this campaign. Also, Maya and Mary Rose, they can't even vote. They're juniors in high school. Oh, that's, that's my, my mom. <laughs> okay, mom. And then what's yours? I don't have my phone right now. It's disabled, thanks to mom. Thank oh. you, mom. <laughs> okay, what's your email, Maya? Okay, so M-A... We next caught up with Delaney at an event about 40 minutes north at a taco place in Ashland, New Hampshire. And we get there early because, you know, when you cover candidate events, there's usually people lining up outside anxious to get a good seat. But here at the taco place, at lunchtime, there's hardly anyone. Just inside the door are a couple Delaney campaign workers manning this merch table with Delaney t-shirts, stickers, lots of copies of his book. I mean, you could maybe fit 25 people in here, but so far, all the tables are empty. Now, eventually, people do show up for Delaney. The first one is a guy named Bill Nesheim, and I asked him what he made of Delaney's run. Bill said he's into the moderate message. As for his chances? I don't know if he has a chance, but I think by being in the race and offering the positions that he offers and being part of the conversation, it helps make the Democratic field stronger overall. So there's a role Absolutely. You know, and who knows, you know, things change in New Hampshire. He may well, you know, I wouldn't count anybody out at this point. You know, you look at what happens here. Uh, Absolutely would not count any, count him out. Only six people end up showing up for this event, but Delaney doesn't seem phased. And the voters who are here make full use of their access. They didn't even let him make his stump speech. They went straight to questions, quizzing him on climate change, trade relations with China, the cost of child care. And Bill, that guy that we talked to before, he got in six questions by the end, including this very direct one. But frankly, you're pretty far down in name recognition, in, you know, not on the debate stages. How are you going to deal with that? Well, I'm counting on Iowa, New Hampshire delivering a surprise. Because this is all about expectations versus how you actually perform. If you exceed expectations, you get a lot of momentum. If you do worse than expectations, you lose all momentum. And so that's how I think about it. And then another voter chimes in, asking Delaney if most of his chips were on Iowa and New Hampshire. And Delaney goes, all of them. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. 
If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams. Now celebrating 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams is the originator of everyone's favorite Lux Home Blanket. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort, as its ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are each made with premium materials. Get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code PODCAST15. Yeah, well, well, someone's got to get in the way back. We're, a, we're very able to do that. Perfect. Okay, so whoever's going to go in the way back should go in the way back. That's us. So after the taco event wraps up, we're all outside, it's raining, and we're piling into this giant SUV that Delaney has been driving around in. Because now we're going to get a ride with him to the next campaign event in Berlin. Giving reporters a lot of access is another familiar play of the long shot candidate. You know, they need all the exposure they can get. But it's not like Delaney is filling a campaign bus with a mini press corps here. Today, it's just Lauren and I in the back seat. And Berlin is a bit of a drive. It's another hour and a half north. To Berlin we go. To Berlin we go. So now that we've got a lot of time with Delaney in a moving vehicle, I'm really hoping I'm going to be able to get somewhere to really understand why someone would run for president for more than two years with not much quantifiable progress to show for it. In looking at what you've already done today, you went to a high school, right? Um, and then you were in a room with six, then seven people. You know, some might look at that and say, "Well, what, what's what's the output? What kind of votes can you get from that experience if you're trying to win?" Yeah. But what do you? What's your? Why is this a good use of your time? Well, I just think first of all, it, it's impossible to say you want to lead the country if you don't meet with voters. You know, I think some people think you can just run these campaigns on social media and through paid communication when in reality a big part of this of this process is the privilege of meeting with everyday Americans and hearing what they have to say and that's only done in small groups you know I'm giving this my best shot I'm, I'm trying to be honest with people tell people what I really believe tell the truth make a difference hopefully I win if that doesn't happen hopefully I change the debate and then, you know, you, you kind of get up the next day and you figure out what's next. Yeah, give me an example of change the debate. Healthcare. You know, I was the first person running for president to speak out against Medicare for All. I did it actually in San Francisco at the California Convention and I was booed. This was back in June of 2019 at the California Democratic Convention. Medicare for All may sound good. But it's actually not good policy, nor is it good politics. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Literally, they tried to boo me off the stage. There was 3,500 people. I had just followed Bernie Sanders. So, you know, the audience was really fired up for the Medicare for All thing. And um, I think that started to change the debate. Now everyone's like running away from Medicare for All. We should just say here that it is debatable what impact, if any, Delaney had on the Medicare for All debate. But for Delaney, it's evidence that if he just keeps hitting the campaign trail, 
there's an audience out there for his message. You said this morning that this is fun for you. Um, <laughs> it's not that I don't believe you. Did something hit me on the head when I said that? Did, well, I, did, did I bang my head well, on I the think door from or something? From the outside, you know, from the way, way outside. Yeah, it is fun. Are not it's a privilege, let's put it that way. Well, I mean, I think people who don't aren't in our world at all see this as like... You're nuts. And thank you for saying that because that's where I was going. Yeah. Which is like you're not you know if you're not pulling well and you're you're still getting in the car and driving up to Berlin and why would this be fun? So, look, at fun is a funny word. We talked to Delaney for a good while on this road trip, asking him in various ways some version of the question, why keep doing this? But Delaney didn't get much more introspective than what you just heard. I mean, politicians are tough to crack, I know from experience. Or maybe that this is just a sincere belief in what he's doing. The most important thing in life, and the hardest thing in life, is to try to remember that it's not about you. And, um... Even when your name's on the poster? Well, what I'm getting at is, sure, there's a lot of... People sometimes ask me this, you know, is there ego involved in running for office? Of course there is. We're all human beings, right? But what makes this rewarding is even when it's hard, you say to yourself, well, this is, you know, people may may think this is about me or my name may be on a poster, but at the end of the day, I'm doing this not about me. And, you know, that in many ways, when you realize the world is not about you, is the best day of your life. So the long shot candidate faces lots of hurdles, the tough events, the reporters that keep asking them why they're running. Another challenge that we really felt on this journey was just filling the long hours between campaign stops. I mean, at some point, we just ran out of questions for Delaney, and there was still a lot of driving to do and nothing to fill it with but small talk. You know, the, the watch business is an interesting business because there are very few in, industries where the, where the profit margins are higher than the watch business. Right. It's a big, dark, complicated Tarantino movie. Yeah, but it's, that's... And it's like three hours long. So I watched it across three nights in a hotel in Iowa. Um, my son-in-law, who uh, works in the Today Show, he, uh, he started a podcast at uh, CBS called uh, Smears the Deal. And he and his friend... Yeah, I mean, look at it. Is, um, you know, I was a remarkable place in some ways. And, you, you know, you really see the soil is so dark. Dark. Because it's so full of nutrients. It's almost like the soil is almost black in color. Right, Candy? So we finally pull into the Northland Dairy Bar, Delaney's next event. It's dark out, it's still raining, and again, just about a half a dozen voters show up. Well, we got a small group so we can make this casual, right? Delaney goes around, introduces himself to all the voters one by one, and as I'm watching him, I am reminded of why so many people insist retail politics is better for democracy. Like, there's this exchange where one group starts telling Delaney about how the city of Berlin has been in decline. Yeah, there's a lot of empty stores. There must be a lot of empty houses, too. I think on my street alone, the town's taken out five or six since I've lived there. They just yeah. take them out. Yeah. 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 
Detroit's and, and it's a very, um, if, if you have the money, it's a very good place to buy houses, you know. Yeah. Really cheap. What does a house cost in? I've heard of people picking them up for like 40000 you know. I mean, the the least I know of anyone getting a house for is five. Yeah, that sounds very right. <laughs> um, this is the kind of exchange that defenders of the primary will point to as evidence for what the retail politics of New Hampshire can offer. I mean, in this moment, a candidate is hearing the real concerns of real people in a real town, and none of this would happen without the primary. And yet, what if that guy never becomes president? Sure, it's nice that Delaney just drove 80 miles to talk to these voters, but there are just six of them, and that's not enough to carry the city of Berlin. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So it had been 12 hours since we first started this day with John Delaney. And before we took the long drive home, I gave it one last shot. Why are you still running for president? Are you disappointed there were only seven or so people here? Listen, you always want a bigger crowd, but look at it's, it's a, you know, we're, it's a small town. We're, you know, 10,000 people in this town. We're up north. It's kind of a yucky night out. Yeah. I just wonder if, um, you know, people might see this and think you've been doing this for two years. Yeah. There's not that many people coming out. So what gives you the hope that that surprise is still out there for you? Um, look, at I, I feel like when I have an opportunity to talk to people, my message resonates with them. So it's based on that, I assume. And that maybe they'll go home and talk to someone else or? Yeah. And, you, you know, you know, my experience in life is things can change fast. That doesn't mean they do, but they can. And if you don't do better than expectations, what does that say about this style of campaign, this retail for, like forward? You know, or, or are we able to make that assessment? I don't think, you know, I, I, I also am one not to jump to conclusions. You know, there are, it may just say that my message, which is pretty clear, you know, about what I think we should do, may not be what people are interested in this moment in time. That may, that may be all it says. Mm-hmm. Or we may look back and say it was the moment where actually the way people get momentum in politics has changed. And you can't really do it retail and you have to, like, we, we don't, you know, I don't think you, we'll be able to tell the story just based on that. Yeah, I guess it may, Maybe it's just saying that they didn't like John Delaney. I mean, it could be that, too. Hard, as hard as that is to believe. As hard as that is to believe. I, uh, I guess what I'm Longshot candidates, like all candidates, are taking a huge leap of faith in running for president. But the long shots get the added encouragement of a state that prides itself on being a friend to the underdog. Jimmy Carter, John McCain, Bill Clinton, these examples aren't just picked up by the candidates on their own. At every turn around here, prominent local figures of the New Hampshire primary reinforce that idea for them. It's part of what makes New Hampshire special, they argue. Look, New Hampshire is always a state that I think uh, looks to give the underdog um, a leg up. Uh, you know, if they're a surprise, if they're somebody that uh, the national media had uh, taken notice of uh, and they do extraordinarily well, uh, that has certainly been the case uh, with Bill Clinton and, and George McGovern. Uh, His and- idea, John McCain's idea, saying we need to go back to basics, 
We need to stop campaigning everywhere else except New Hampshire. If you believe and you're ready to work hard enough, you can be anybody and be president. And that's the hope that New Hampshire gives. And the fact that the long shots of the world keep buying into that idea, it makes it seem true. This episode of Stranglehold was reported by Lauren Chuljan and produced by me, Jason Moon. Editing for this episode from NHPR News Director Dan Barrick and Director of Content Maureen McMurray. Jack Rodolico is Stranglehold's senior producer. Rebecca Lavoie is NHPR's digital director. Sarah Plord made our beautifully aggressive podcast graphics. Original music for this series was created by Lucas Anderson and me. Additional music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions and from the 1976 campaign film entitled Jimmy Who. Special thanks to Julian Sutcliffe, Becky Tankreed, and as always to Barry Chuljan for inspiring the name of this podcast. Stranglehold is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.